Climate change threatens every one of us. But what would you sacrifice if giving something up could solve the climate crisis? We've done a big survey in every European Union country, in China, in the US, and in Britain, to find out what people are ready to do to fight climate change, to understand what solutions they think will work, and whether they're even worried at all about climate change now that COVID-19 threatens us. Then we spoke to experts about what it all means for the future of our planet. I'm Matt, and this is Climate Solutions. Today, how much would you pay to stop climate change? How to stop climate change? What comes to your mind? More recycling, taking public transport instead of the car, eating less meat? Listen to Ed Qualthrop. He's head of the Climate Policy Unit at the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank, and he's going to mention something about stopping climate change that you might not have considered before. From a policy perspective, it would be a lot easier if prices were sending signals about the embedded carbon in your in your consumption, because then you don't have to get your head around it. Um, but you know, at the same time, clearly, industry is going to play, and technology is, is absolutely crucial in 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 this transition pathway. But you know, they will they are operating under, I mean, in large parts of the economy under under a regulatory environment where they, they will have to reduce carbon or go out of business. The price of what you buy. It's not the first idea that comes to you, but it makes sense. If things that cause climate change cost more, and things that don't cause climate change cost less, which things would you buy? Half of EU citizens told the European Investment Bank's climate survey that we should make a priority of cutting prices on sustainable goods to slow climate change. In the US, China and the UK, the percentage was also in the low 40s, so pretty high too. I asked Adelaide Zulfi-Karpasik, director of opinion polls at BVA, the Paris company that carried out the survey for the European Investment Bank, about the kinds of solutions people wanted to prioritize in general and products or activities that they want to ban. Uh, I have the feeling that citizens are not yet fully mature on this subject, uh, on the subject of climate change and what they can do and not do. Um, so why it is indeed important to act uh, upstream, um, it is perhaps uh, wiser not to choose radical paths in the first instance. Um, I would be more in favor of the theory of small, te uh, small steps. Uh, gradually banning products that have a disastrous carbon footprint, yes. Banning polluting products, yes but we must allow time for what we call uh, in French, but maybe it works in English too. Uh, we must allow time for social acceptability. Um, and we can see it once again with the example of uh, uh, single-use plastics. People now have understood why it was absurd to, uh, to drink through plastic straws. So um, we have to um, to do pedagogy again and again and again, explain, and yes, um, maybe uh, a touch of uh, firmness or, or determination is important, but not too radically. In the second episode of this series, What Would You Give Up?, we looked at the kinds of products or activities people would be willing to give up in order to slow climate change. We included obvious things, like traveling by aeroplane or driving a car. But we also asked about things where it's not so obvious that there's a climate component, like buying new clothes 
which has a carbon footprint as part of the manufacturing process, for example, or digital services, where the electricity used in data centers is a big source of emissions. Edward Calthrop, head of the Climate Policy Unit at the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank, trained as an economist. Naturally, he says, stopping climate change is all going to come down to cost. As a consumer, it's really tough to know how much carbon is embedded in each of those activities. And of course, there's a thousand different activities. Um, so, you know, it is tough. And, and I mean, I, I, I risk going on a digression here, but that I think is why economists get so excited about a carbon tax is precisely because then all of this different information that you otherwise have to get your head around is collapsed into just, you know, goods becoming either relatively expensive or, or, or not, depending on how much carbon is in there. You know, the net zero target in 2050 has been, has been, in a sense, has been a wonderful way of clarifying um, the discussion for, for policymakers, for, for industry, um, also to some extent for consumers, because you know, until a few years ago, we were we were really talking around an 80% reduction by 2050, and then inevitably all the difficult discussions revolved around whether you were in the 80% or in the residual 20%. And net zero has really clarified that. Um, so so government regulation, I mean that that overall legal framework is absolutely critical. As a result of that. Yeah, there's a technology, there's a race on, ongoing globally. Industrial policy is increasingly competition policy. Um, whether we're talking about hydrogen, whether we're talking about you know, electric vehicles, um, battery technologies, um, all the different raft of new low carbon technologies. Um, you know, the, the, this has become um, very much central to, to, to economic policy. And as a result of that, you know, there is there is a need to enormously increase investment, um, both both public and private, um, over the next over the next you know decades. A um, lot of reasons why. I mean, not least given where we are on on real interest rates, um, plenty of reasons why that that's uh, makes makes sense and will happen. And sitting around that, of course, is is the end consumer demand drives everything. So, price could become a factor in something that most people say they'd be happy to do more of as a way to stop climate change. That is, buying seasonal products and products produced close to where they live. Why does that have an impact on climate change? Because products that aren't seasonal have to be brought from somewhere far away where they are in season. That means carbon emissions. And obviously the same is true of products that aren't produced close to where you live. In the European Investment Bank's climate survey, 90% of Europeans said they are buying more seasonal produce. It was a little less in the US and China, but not by much. 70% of Europeans said they're buying more products that are produced near their home. Again, China and the US were about the same. There is probably... Um a big change in the way of thinking uh, uh, climate change. This is Martial Foucault, director of the Centre de Recherche Politique at Sciences Po, the university in Paris. The current uh, economic globalization 
has allowed people to to have access uh, at any time immediately to all kind of products. Whether I mean, uh, wherever you are located, uh, whenever you want, you could okay, you could consume immediately. Uh, it's probably yes, uh, um, electronic markets. Uh, is part of this uh, uh, new access uh, because it's important to reason uh, saying okay uh, it's not only developed countries who, uh, which have access now but uh, such new possibilities new opportunities to consume immediately is is offered to less developed uh, countries i i, I think uh, that this pandemic Will probably change the um, yes the consumption behavior due to uh, containment measures, and we observe that in many countries that some people now consider that it was so stupid uh, to to have no time to think about their consumption decision. So I'm not saying that we 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 are we are going in, in a in new area where people uh, refuse to consume. I'm just uh, say that wh when we talk about environmental issues, we talk also about sustainable world. And maybe, maybe uh, this crisis uh, will offer new thinking about what is sustainable. Is it sustainable to consume uh, every second? Or, uh, but in the same time, it, it means that we, we, we need a, yeah, a global discussion about the current economic model based on consumption. Uh, we have to think about uh, how consumption is compatible or not with uh, climate change. So not only in terms of transportation of products over the world, but also uh, if we cons if you continue to consume so many uh, clouds, uh, computer, cell phone, I mean the the, the quantity of uh, energy uh, that we need to continue to operate, to communicate, to have access to information, uh, it's not necessarily compatible with climate change. This pandemic has probably, uh, not sufficiently, but has probably revealed the good way by which we have to think and we have to discuss, we have to deliberate on environmental issues uh, as a global phenomenon and not just uh, consumption. Do you eat uh, uh, fruit at the right season or do you, uh, do you need a third, a fourth car uh, in your family? I mean, for me, it's much broader uh, uh, as, a, as a discussion. One thing that showed up in the European Investment Bank survey is that almost everyone wants to buy seasonal produce and products produced near their home. But very, very few people are currently doing so all the time. It struck me that this could be the definition of low-hanging fruit. We could make seasonal and local produce cheaper by subsidizing it or by making other products more expensive. And with just that little nudge, maybe everyone would be buying seasonal and local. I asked Ed Calthrop about this. Prices can help send signals. And, you know, increasingly, I think as we look at, obviously the details change in every, in every country. And, but if we take it 
uh, take a step back in, in saying, you know, we have 30 years to get to net zero, I think we can be pretty confident that um, that the agricultural sector will, you know, those those costs of carbon emissions will inevitably increasingly be transmitted through price signals. Um, you know, that embeds all kinds of transport as well. And so bottom line would be, you know, you would hope that the seasonal products, uh, local products are just, you know, simpler and easier and that on top of it, there's a there's a you know an increasing consumer demand for it. So do I think you know that on its own will will revolutionise the the food market? Um, pro probably not. Um, but it's going to play a certainly going to play a role in it. But Ed did have a few cautionary words about imposing changes through tax unless alternatives are provided for people, and unless it's clear that the money you raise is used to confront climate change rather than just going into the government's coffers. Asking people if they'd like to, to pay more for something tends to get a fairly negative reaction, and, and that's probably not that surprising. You know, perhaps the perception out there is that, you know, at some point electric cars will just be cheaper than than diesel cars, and, and so, you know, if anything, it's a question around uh, to what extent there are subsidies available to bridge that gap for, for the time being, and then once it's, it's, it's cheaper, then off we go. So the idea of, of you know, increasing, it's essentially uh, the same point around taxing carbon in general. And obviously, it's a very political question, and, and we've seen, um, you know, in a sense, the, the origin of the, of, of the protests in, in France in 2018 and the Chile Jaune uh, movement was, it was indeed around rural workers who wanted to protest and being confronted with a with an increase in in, in using uh, a, a vehicle for which there was there was no alternative or there is no alternative um, and it's absolutely essential to their to their job and, and income so what's crucial is to be able to uh, I mean there's still a good case for for charging for carbon because of the incentives it, it provides and the signal it sends um, where there are low-carbon alternatives readily available, that, that's quite easy because, indeed, you can just switch fairly effortlessly. Um, where there are no alternatives, this, is, this then becomes um, a, a, difficult, a difficult issue. What's crucial in the whole debate is, of course, what happens with that revenue. If the revenue from that is then being used to provide public transport, or to um, you know, provide subsidies for electric vehicles, then you might get a different response. I would I would suggest than if you're if you're you know, coming across as asking people if they simply want to pay more for something. Subscribe to Climate Solutions so you don't miss any of the results of the climate survey or the explanations of our experts. You can also read the full results of the climate survey at eib.org. Eib.org. In the next episode of Climate Solutions, you'll find out what young people think about climate change and how that compares to the views of old people. You might be in for a few surprises, by the way. So discover whether you agree with the 30,000 people in our survey on the next episode of Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank, the EU Bank.